passage is Romans 15, 1 through 13. So that's the passage we're in tonight. Now, was anyone here for when Brandon came and, and preached while we were in Michigan? Yeah, so Brandon, I, I told Brandon, I said, Brandon, can you help us out and preach? You have to preach on the whole chapter of Romans 14 now. <laughs> that's kind of a mean thing to do some, to somebody who's going to come and, and guest preach for you. But I gave him the whole chapter of 14 so that we can kind of move along in this series. Um, but Romans 14 kind of started a new section for Paul, a somewhat lengthy section, where he talks about weaker Christians and stronger Christians. He talks about weaker Christians and stronger Christians. And I just kind of wanted to summarize some things from what Brandon may have hit on from Romans 14, because it matters in, in what we're going to talk about in our passage. So in Romans 14, I think you see this picture of the Christian community is comprised of weaker Christians and stronger Christians. The Christian community, the church, has weaker Christians and stronger Christians. Now, at Paul's time, this was specifically referring to um, Jews, Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians. So here's, here's the deal. Jews, they've been following God's commands for years, and um, they have known that following the Mosaic Law was extremely important to pleasing God and being righteous in His sight. And then this Christ event happens, right? Jesus comes and He turns the world upside down. And He's not only uh, for the Jews, but He's also for the Gentiles. Crazy. It's world-shattering. And so what happens is the Jewish people that accept Jesus, they're still struggling with keeping the Mosaic Law. Like, do we still need to abide by these dietary restrictions? Do we still need to follow the calendar like we used to? And the Gentile Christians have no frame of reference for that. Like, that's not even on their radar. They're like, why would I obey those things? So what's happening is you have these Jewish Christians that are still obeying the, the Mosaic Law, and then you have Gentile Christians who aren't, and what's happening is the Jewish Christians are judging the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians are saying they're not as holy as we're supposed to be. They're not doing what God is pleased with. And, in, and because of that, the, the Gentile Christians, they're like, well, that's not very nice. That's not cool. And they start despising them. They're saying these, these other Christians, these Jewish Christians are judging us. So they started despising them. Right? So you, you see this weird dynamic, this weird back and forth or interaction in the early church, and that's what Paul's talking about. So for us, we don't have that issue, right? None of us, does anyone here want to keep the Mosaic Law? Okay, so that, that's not an issue for us. Good, because it would be a little complicated, but we don't have this issue, so we can understand this kind of generally speaking as weak Christians are people who are weak in faith, and we can call those people maybe legalistic, and they're prone to judge. We Christians are legalistic who are often prone to judge. Strong Christians understand their freedom in Christ. They understand that nothing is unclean or clean in and of itself. That's a whole other thing, but they're prone to despise. Here's the thing. You in here, whether you realize it or not, I myself included, were one of these two. We're either prone to be legalistic or prone to despise people who are, who are judging us and legalistic. And we're just talking about Christians. We're just talking about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality is, you in here are probably judging or despising another person in this room. 
This is a reality that Paul's dealing with. And this is a reality that we have to understand as Christians. This is, this is something we're going to come into contact with. So Paul talked to us through Scripture and gave some, some advice for what we should do to interact with one another. Okay? So at the beginning of 14, he gave the basic instruction. And none of this is on your handout, okay? He gave the basic instruction. Do not judge one another because God is the ultimate judge. Don't judge one another because God is the ultimate judge. The, the other brother and sister in Christ that you keep judging all their actions and saying, wow, I can't believe she did this. I can't believe he did that. Right? Wow. I, does he really love Jesus type thing? That person's not going to stand before you on judgment day. That person's going to stand before God and answer for what they did. So don't judge the other brother in Christ, other sister in Christ, when you, when you know that they're a brother and sister in Christ. And then the second half of, of 14, Paul says, walk in love. If you love your neighbor, you won't judge them. You won't despise them. And build them up. Don't put any stumbling blocks. Don't hinder them. Right? So that's kind of the first two pieces of advice Paul gives. And then we come to what Paul gives in the passage we're going to focus on today. He says, receive one another as Christ has received you for the glory of God. Receive one another. That's your summary statement of this passage. Receive one another as Christ has received you for the glory of God. If you think about the other people in this room, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically in your ability to judge or despise them, this is Paul's advice for you, Christian. Receive them as Christ received you and do it for the glory of God. So we're going to unpack that. I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time um, diving through each phrase and clause and word of this passage, but we're going to unpack that summary statement from this passage. Sound good? All right? Yes. Good. So let me read this passage. Everyone turn to uh, Romans 15. And bear with us here, okay? It's, uh, it's about 13 verses long. This is what Paul says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings or the weakness of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a ser servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come 
Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break down some of those things and, uh, and see how it not only is good to know, but it applies to our life. All right, so let me pray. Father, we dedicate these next few minutes to you, that you would speak through your spirit, through your, through your word, to the students in this room and to their hearts. God, there's a lot of things I want to say. There's a lot of things that are going through my head. I pray that the things you desire for me to say and you desire for these students to be heard would be heard. So God, we offer it up to you and ask for you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so listen, I don't have time and I, and I don't want to, to go through each part of this passage. It's a big passage. I promise you, I've, labor, I've labored over each phrase and I've tried to see how each clause kind of builds into the meaning of the text. But also, I think it's important for you guys to see how to summarize a big text, how to focus in on the main teaching, how to focus in on the general feeling or sense that you get from Scripture. Because, again, we have to remember these are letters. Paul didn't necessarily write these thinking that people would take one or two words and focus in on them and dissect them. He wrote them as a letter, and he, he, he expected them to be read aloud in large settings and big chunks, right? So we should be able to understand how we can take a big chunk of Scripture and just take one thing from it and hang our hat on it. Say, this is something that has pierced my heart, and it's going to change the way I live. That's what we do on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday night, we read a whole chapter of Scripture, and we ask that you just take one verse and write what you see in that verse and how it applies to your life. So that's what I wanted to model for you tonight. There's just one thing, one verse that I've taken out of this passage. I believe it summarizes the passage, and it gives us stuff to hang our hat on, to change the way we live. And that's verse 7. It says that, we should receive one another as Christ received you for the glory of God. He also uses the word welcome. It also means accept. So we're just going to unpack that phrase. So receive one another. That's your first blank. Receive one another. What does Paul mean by receive one another? Interesting, Paul uses the same word at the be- in the first verse of chapter 14. So this section, Paul is bracketing it. He's saying the same thing at the beginning and at the end. Okay, so that gives you a clue as you read and study to see what the meaning is. If it, if it says the same thing at the beginning as it does at the end, it's a good clue as to what the meaning of the text is. So Paul says to receive one another. What does that mean? Well, I think as you look through chapter 14, you know that it means that you do not judge. You do not judge. If you want to receive your brothers and sisters in Christ, do not judge. Now listen, don't hear me and don't see what Paul's not saying. There's a lot of negatives in that. (laughs) But Paul is not saying that you cannot tell a brother and sister in Christ that they're in the wrong. He's not saying that that you you can't sit next to a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, I love you and I think you're in sin and I want to challenge you in this. Paul's saying do not judge their heart, their eternal destination as a follower of Jesus Christ, and write them off. Do not judge them in that sense. Do not be quick to judge. 
Because God's the judge. You're not the judge. You can't see the heart of that individual. Okay, so just do not be so quick to judge. We are, we, we are so quick to judge, guys. Like, we live in a culture that tells us that we should be quick to judge. Social media and technology, the fast-paced um, rhythm of it, tells you to form quick opinions about people, right, and to hold it against them. So we're so quick to judge. Don't be people that are quick to judge. Give people the benefit of the doubt, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Another way we receive one another is the end of chapter 14. It's about selfless love. If you love your brother and sister in Christ, you, you will receive them in the way Paul's talking about. You will receive them. So selfless love, it's, it's trying to pursue the best interests of your brothers and sisters in Christ despite how hard or comfortable it is. Right? If you see someone who's struggling, are you in such a position, is your heart so loving as to reach out to them and give a helping hand? So a lot of times when we talk about receiving one another, we often say, well, I don't judge people, so obviously I receive people, right? It's like, well, I don't judge people, so I'm good. But Paul's saying, Look, and if, if you really want to receive somebody, it's not about just what you don't do, it's about what you do. If you want to receive your brothers and sisters in Christ, they should be able to know that you love them and that you, should, that you love them through sacrificial service, selfless love. So if you want to receive a brother and sister in Christ, selfless love. Thirdly, build up. Build up. If you, if you want to be in pursuit of receiving your fellow brother and sister in Christ, Build them up. What does that mean to build them up? It's strengthen them, equip them. Identify what they're good at. Identify what a spiritual gift is. Say, hey, you know, I've really noticed that you're great at encouraging people. Did you realize that? Do you know that you're great at encouraging people? Right? Maybe you should pursue that. Maybe you should look at how you can encourage others. Hey, can you help me encourage other people? Build one another up. Build one another up. So again, don't just think about what you don't do. Think about what you are proactively doing. What are you intentionally doing in this room with the people next to you to receive them, to build them up, to love them? Um, think about that. Next, the next part of the phrase is as Christ has received you. As Christ has received you. As brothers and sisters in Christ... Christ has received every one of us. Christ has received you, and Christ has received them. As you think of the people in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ has received you, and Christ has received them. So if Christ has received you, he's accepted you, he's welcomed you into the family of God, and Christ has received this other person, into the family of God, how can you not receive them? Right? If, if Christ accepts them, how can you not accept them? Right? They're in your same family. They're, they're blood of your blood. And also, this gives us reason or a better understanding of what it means to truly receive somebody. Like, if we receive people, we should receive people the same way Christ received us. That's through the sacrificial love sacrificial love he's given us. He didn't receive us because we deserved it. He didn't accept us because we're easy to accept. 
He accepted us and received us and welcomed in, us into the family because he loved us. And he did that through his own humility. Right? He, did, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't accept people who were easy to accept. He accepted people who were spitting in his face, saying, you're not my God, your way's not right. These are the people he died for, people like you and me. So how can you not receive people in the same way? See, a lot of the times, people who, who judge us or despise us, we put the burden of responsibility on them. We'll say, it's like, well, they got beef with me. If they, wanna, if they, want, to, if they want to accept me, if they want me to accept them, then they need to come to me. God, thank God Jesus Christ did not do that to us. In our sinfulness and our ungodliness, Jesus Christ stepped down and said, look, you're running away from me. I'm going to run even faster towards you. Amazing. Amazing love. So if you have experienced that acceptance in Christ, how can you not express that to others? If you've experienced that, how can you not express that? And here's the key. This is what being a Christian is all about. Turning your experience into your expression. If you've experienced the overwhelming love of God in your life, then you will turn and express that to other people. If you've experienced the grace of God, you will express that grace to others. If you've experienced the mercy and forgiveness and love and grace and healing and restoration of God, you will express that to others. That's what the Christian life's about. It's not simply about you knowing about God's love. It's not about you simply hearing about it and believing it and saying, yeah, I'll check the box. I, I, I think that happened. The Christian life is about an experience that happens in your heart, takes root, and then spreads like wildfire to other people. So, you have to ask yourself, is, you, is that your true experience? Have you truly experienced the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God? And if so, do you see that pouring out to others in your life? And that's what we're seeing here. If you've received the acceptance of Christ, how are you not pouring that out to your other brothers and sisters in Christ in this room? But even, even greater than this, and... I'm not going to take the time to show you in all this passage why this is important. But there's another way that Christ has received us, and it concerns Christ's ultimate purpose. Why did Christ receive us? Why did Christ accept us? Pastor Bobby talked about this this morning. Like, do you know that you're loved and that you're valued by God? Christ accepted you and received you because he loves you. And he loves you in greater ways than you can even imagine. But in this passage, we see that not only did Christ do that because he loved us, he did that for an even, an even greater purpose. Look at verses 5 through 7 if you've got your Bibles open. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That harmony that he speaks about, is Christians receiving another, one another. So we're rec we receiving one another marks our harmony. But there's a purpose to that harmony. Paul wants that harmony to do something. In verse 6 he says, we should have that harmony so that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see it again at the end of verse 7. It says, Receive one another as Christ has received you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's the last part of our phrase. For God's glory. Christ received you and Christ accepted you for God's glory. Yes, he loved you, he cared for you, he valued you, absolutely. But even deeper than that, he did it so that God could receive the glory. He did it so that with one voice, both Jew and Gentile, both slave person and free person, both male and female, could glorify God with one voice. He didn't simply want to clean up our mess. He didn't want to simply make us feel good. He didn't simply want us to know the truth. He wanted us to glorify God together. And you see this with your blank. At the bottom of Jesus' love to accept us, at the bottom of that is an ultimate desire for the glory of God. An ultimate desire for the glory of God. This was his motivation, God's glory. And I know that sounds a little weird, right? Did God just use me as a tool, right? Did, does he love me just so God could get glory? And the answer is yes, but it's for your good. God's glory in your life is what you're destined for. That's why you're made. That's why you were created. That's why you were designed. You will be most happy, most satisfied, most joyful when you are glorifying God in the way that you're designed. And that's why this is Jesus' desire. Because in his desire, in Jesus' desire for you to glorify God, he is desiring for you to be most satisfied in him. He's, he is desiring for you to find fullness of joy in what you were destined to do. You as a human being were destined to glorify God. You were supposed to be worshipers. That's what we are. We are worshipers of God because he's most deserving, he's most valuable. He's most worthy of it all. So we have to ask ourselves, that was Jesus' desire. That's the reason he accepted us. Is that our desire? Like if we think about this really practically, if we need to have restoration with some fellow brother and sister in Christ in this room, if there's a brother and sister in Christ in this room that's been judging us or despising us, do we seek restoration? Are we seeking to receive them? Are we asking for them to receive us? And if you're not, I would ask, do you really desire the glory of God? Because listen, it's not comfortable. It's not convenient to deal with relationships. They're really messy. They're really messy. Relationships are hard. They're difficult. We are sinful, broken people, mostly selfish say bad, jerky things all the time. I don't think jerky is an adjective, but we say things that make us look like jerks, right? They're messy. So if you're just doing it to, <laughs> if your motivation is just to be comfortable and to be secure in your life, in your Christian walk, you will never seek restoration. You'll never seek to receive one another. But if you want to receive one another, if you, if you want the glory of God in all things, if you want to see God's name look great, 
If you want to fulfill your destiny as a human being and, and your fellow brother and sisters in Christ's destiny as a human being, then you will seek restoration. You'll seek to receive them. You'll seek the opportunity to say, I need, I need you to accept me. I want to accept you because Christ has accepted us. And I want to do that not because it's comfortable, not because it's convenient, not because it's easy. I want to do it because God deserves the glory. And God gets glory when his church, his people, act like Jesus. When they turn their experience into their expression. Does that make sense? So this is my closing thought for you. This is my closing thought, and I hope you can just remember this. This is your prayer, I hope. It's my prayer. May I desire God's glory more than I desire my own comfort and security. May I desire God's glory more than I desire my own comfort and security. Listen, guys, everything that's being preached to you in the American culture is saying seek comfort and security any way you can. Seek comfort, seek security any way that you can. And it's hard unless we shake ourselves loose to reset our heart and say, no, I want to I pursue God and his glory. Make this your prayer. May I desire God's glory more than I desire my own comfort and security.